Good evening, good evening. Hope you've had a good day. Well, tonight is the very last night of our Whatever You Do sermon series. A few people are disappointed. <laughs> I don't know if you watch much TV, but have you, have you ever had that experience where it comes to the end of a series? I'm not talking just that one series, but the whole show. And it's the, the last scene. And the scene ends, and then the credits hit. And then there's this kind of kind of empty, hollow feeling. Do you know what I mean? You kind of just like this sort of minor depression that washes over you as you're like, wait, this, that was it. Like, this is, this is it. And you just, you're not really sure what to do next. You just watch the credits end and then the stuff in like Chinese and the stuff you never read before and you just sit looking at this empty screen and it's just this rough feeling. And as the Whatever You Do sermon series comes to an end, I'm pretty sure no one is going to feel that way. <laughs> But it has been really cool just to see how uh, helpful and useful people have found this series. And there's been so many cool emails coming into the office and just conversations about how everyone has been finding this just so useful and put into practice just some really helpful things every week in their workplace, Monday to Friday, whatever you do. And so even though we might not be feeling that kind of feeling of emptiness and uh, depression tonight, it is a shame it's over. But there's still plenty more to talk about and things that we can put into practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and beyond. And every week we've been looking at a different topic. So some weeks we've looked at how to handle conflict, other weeks how to handle stress, how to um, handle uh, kind of difficult situations, how to shape the culture of your workplace. But I've loved how every week the common thread that's been going through each uh, sermon, each topic, has been the difference that Jesus makes. See, it's not just, you know, some TED talk about, you know, try a bit harder at work or, you know, be vulnerable with your colleagues, which is great. Actually, the thing that empowers this and makes it possible is having Jesus inside of us. And that's the thread that goes through everything. But then I guess it begs the question, if, if Jesus is the one who's at the heart of everything, how do we share that truth? How do we share him with people who don't know him? So tonight we're going to be looking at that whole topic of sharing our faith. And during this series, uh, we've looked a lot about the importance of our actions and lifestyle, haven't we? Like the behavior, how we are in our offices and with our families, and the difference that can make. And it is really, really essential to uh, this whole thing of sharing faith. I was having a chat with someone this week who was saying that uh, recently they were with their, their boss at work, and they'd been chatting about some things. And then their boss said this to them. This is what they text me. Their boss said, there's something different about you. That's so consistent in caring. Is it your faith that makes you like that? I love that. That's someone here tonight, someone in our church, just with their boss having a chat. And it just shows us the power of our lifestyle. They weren't talking about God. They weren't talking about Jesus. They were just showing love to their boss effectively. I don't know if the boss would have been aware of that, but there's something different about this colleague, someone part of this church, than everyone else around them. And actions are so important because uh, what you preach comes from both your actions and from your words. And that's massive. Because if you have this message of Jesus does this and Jesus does that, and you go into your workplace and you start preaching at people, yet you treat your colleague like rubbish, they're not going to know your message. But on the other side, if you are just a great person in the workplace and you're loving people, and you're really kind and consistent, whilst that's great, if you never talk about Jesus, they're also never going to know him. And we've spoken a lot rightly throughout this series about our actions. 
But tonight I'm going to focus in on that thing of our words, how we say, how we share our faith. So here's a question to get you thinking to start with. How do you feel about the concept, the idea of talking to your colleagues about what you believe? How does that make you feel? The thought of going into work tomorrow, whatever you do, and just telling them about your faith. How does that make you feel? What kind of emotions does that conjure up inside you? There's probably lots of different responses, but I think there's two things that are quite common in this church and in our culture, and it's this. First of all, I think a lot of people would say, I don't think sharing my faith is actually all that important, or it's actually probably not appropriate. Secondly, I think a lot of people would say, you know, I would love to share my faith more. I just find it a bit uncomfortable. Like, I'm not really sure if I'm qualified, I know how to, just would I mess it up, would it be a bit weird? So first of all, to that first camp of people who say, it's not really that important or that appropriate. I think you've probably heard this, many, many people in our culture, many of my friends would say this, it's great for you to believe what you want to believe, but don't force that on me. It's a bit like what the comedian George Carlin says, he says this, Religion is like a pair of shoes. Find one that fits for you, but don't make me wear your shoes. Such a common thing in our culture, is it? I mean, there might be people, I'm sure there are people in this room who'd have that exact same belief. And you know, I think part of it comes from something that's great about our culture. We believe that it's wrong to force any belief onto someone. That's a great part about British society. We say, you know, we're not going to, we've been, we've been there, we're not going back. We're not going to force anyone to believe anything. And that's great. That's commendable about our culture. But the problem is it can translate into that commonly held belief that all beliefs are equal. And so you shouldn't impose your belief onto someone else. But stop for a second and think. What's the, the flaw? What's the inconsistency in that statement? It says, this is a position that itself states a belief system and then imposes it on others. So it says, this is what's true, all religions are equal, and this is what everyone else should do. So it's a belief system that tells people what you should do. And so this notion that some people like Christians are out to convert people or or make people think or believe a certain way, um, they're they're that way, and then everyone else is open-minded and free, let's just kind of right from the get-go recognize that that's a false notion. All of us have a belief system that affects how we act and how we encourage other people to act, Christian or not. Secondly, for those who would say, well, I have a faith, but it's, it's a private thing. Have you heard that? I've heard tons of people in church throughout my whole life say that exact phrase. I don't, I don't want to force it down anyone's throat. I just I keep what I believe to myself. It's a private faith. But again, I think this is a belief that is born out of the misconceptions of our culture. Because when you think about it, if you believe that Jesus is the one that gives you life to the full and then eternal life forevermore, what's the most loving thing you can do? Is it to tell nobody? Actually, no, it's to share it with as many people that will listen. But I think for the majority of people in the room, it isn't so much a notion of, well, I'm not sure if it's the right thing. It's more, I'd like to, but I just find it really difficult. Is that you? 
sometimes find that like I'm not, I'm not really sure what words to say or, you know, am I, am I qualified? There's some people are good at that evangelism stuff, but I'm kind of, that's not me. So how do we do it? Well, I think Acts 4.13 is a really, really helpful verse on this. And basically, to paint a picture of the story, you've got Peter and John, who are two of their disciples, and they've been arrested for sharing their faith and for healing someone. Terrible, obviously. Um, and so they get brought before the rulers of Jerusalem, and they're interrogated. And basically, they're like, what's going on? And so they're preaching all this stuff about who Jesus is. They're saying, he's been raised from the dead. He healed this man. And then listen to what the response of the, the leaders of Jerusalem is. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How were Peter and John able to share their faith? By being ordinary men who'd been with Jesus. How are you going to be able to share your faith? By being ordinary people who've been with Jesus. So first of all, ordinary people. Who is an ordinary person? <laughs> Everyone. Who here is qualified to share their faith? Everyone. See, I think it's easy for us to say I'm an ordinary, but that's literally the only qualification you need to be someone to share your faith. Now, let's be real. If we were God, we probably wouldn't have chosen this strategy, would we? I mean, Jesus came, what, he had a life of about 33 years, only three of which were spent doing ministry. Now, if I'm a strategist in kind of God's, I don't know, strategy team of evangelism, I'm thinking, all right, if Jesus has got to go at some point, let's think at least 30, 40 years, and then train up some really legit followers who are really qualified, they've been to the Jesus Bible School, like do your resurrection tour, like that's kind of a helpful thing, like 40 days isn't really going to get too much publicity, you know. I joke, but let's be real. If we were trying to plan how Jesus should get the message out, that's kind of what we'd say. Yet Jesus chose flawed men and women like you and me to take this message. Like Peter, the guy we just read about who's apparently bold and courageous. This is a guy who when things were going down, when Jesus is getting arrested, he pulls out his sword and chops some guy's ear off. Now, if you're in a stressful situation and your response isn't to take a knife out and lop off someone's ear, then you've already got a head start on Peter. On Peter, who's when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you. So if you're telling me tonight you're not qualified to share your faith, then you don't get any of this message. And if you do jump to pulling out knives and chopping off ears, <laughs> please don't come again. Um, <laughs> See, God has confidence in you. Why? Because it's nothing to do with you. It's him working through you. That's why he's confident in you. In fact, it's because you're ordinary that the message is powerful. See, if you, if you're some fancy and slick and qualified communicator, maybe someone will say, well, yeah, kind of, you've convinced me with your words, but you're not really like me. See, the way you're going to reach your colleagues is by chatting to them, and they realize, oh, wow, you believe all this stuff, but you're kind of ordinary. You're pretty normal, and you believe all this stuff. It makes it relatable. It makes it reliable. 
Now, you might say, okay, John, you're kind of, you're being a bit simplistic, kind of, you know, you're joking around a bit, but let's kind of get to deep theology. So, for those of you into that sort of stuff, I was watching an interview with Tim Keller, who when, if you're into this thing, Keller's the person you go to if you need some, some decent sermon points. And I watched an interview of him, and basically said to him, how do you share your faith? And he said, there's two steps. I'm like, okay, with my pen and paper, let's go. He said, here's the two steps. One, tell people you've been at church. So just tell them when it's in conversation, what you've done over the weekend, what you're doing tomorrow, tell them you've gone to church. Secondly, he said, tell people the difference that Jesus has made in just an everyday situation. So you're at work, someone says to you, man, the workload the boss is putting on us at the moment, like, I'm struggling, like, how are you finding it? And you're just like, well, yeah, to be, to be honest, me too. I've been finding it tough, but you know, I was at, at church last night, and a few guys got around and prayed for me, and I've been feeling a lot of peace ever since then. Just saying something like that. Now, 90% of people might just leave it at that, but one in 10 might say, oh, really? How does that work? Like, they kind of just pray for you, tell them about work. Like, you, you don't just go to church on Sundays. Like, that was Thursday night. Like, and that conversation starts just in very natural and normal ways. And I think this whole being ordinary evangelist is, um, is best summed up in this amazing story of this servant girl and a guy called Naaman in a book called Two Kings. So in Two Kings chapter 5, basically here's what happens. In verse 1 it says this. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given great victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. So Naaman then goes to the prophet Elisha. And it's this amazing story that basically is completely healed. And it changes everything about Naaman's worldview. And here's what it says in verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said... Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. What's just happened there? This one girl has dropped in one sentence into a conversation that's led to one of the most high-profile figures in the whole country to go into being healed, to experiencing God, having his life transformed. And do you know what I love about this story? We have no idea what that little girl's name was. I was like, I was preparing for this. I was like, what, what was her name? It literally just calls us the servant girl. And I love that because that's so relatable to you and me. It's just ordinary people. That's something she could do, and that's something you can do. See, <laughs> if a young girl who's been trafficked into a foreign land with one sentence can impact a nation, what can you do in your workplace, with your friends, and with your voice? One of the biggest lessons I learned 
was when I was around people who just talked about Jesus like he was real. And it wasn't something to be embarrassed about. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was that person who he'd, I'd be out with the people at the restaurant, my mum, and she'd be talking about church or whatever. And I just, I just found it awkward. Like, the table next to us, I don't want them to hear me talking about God's stuff. Like, it's just a bit weird. So I'd be like, yeah, last, last Sunday at church, um, um, when we prayed for each other. And, and like that, you laugh. I know there's people in this room who are like that. Or you just avoid it. Like when they ask you what you did on, on Sunday, just avoid it. That was me. And then I went to, I remember going to university and I remember it's the first night of uni, we sat around in a circle just chatting about everything. Everyone's a bit awkward. You're kind of really conscious of how you look. And then it turns out I was a Christian in the room and he found out I was a Christian. And he was like, hey, so are you, are you looking forward to joining a new church? And I'm like, what's wrong with Christians? <laughs> yeah. Like they're like doing shots of things I didn't know existed and... <laughs> I'm like, don't, I'm like, I just feel it really awkward. And he's like, man, it's been so cool. Like, I'm just so excited to see what God's going to do at university. And I'm like, you're talking about him in front of these non-Christians. Like, what are you doing? And then like, one of them's like, oh, mate, like, I'm, I'm feeling quite lonely, to be honest, a few weeks later. And he's like, come to church with us then. Like, it's a lot of fun. I'm like, don't talk about it. Like, and then just realizing, just talk about God like he's real, like it's normal. Like, it's not something to be embarrassed about. If this is the greatest news that anyone could ever knew, no. Why are we awkward about just talking about it? That just changed my perspective. Just talk about God publicly, unashamedly. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to be intentional. There are sometimes we just have to recognize that certain environments aren't the easiest. Like, for you, you might say, well, my, my workplace, when's that supposed to happen? Like, around the desk or, like, when we're having cups of tea at lunchtime? Maybe, but for most people, that's a hard environment. Especially group environments aren't the easiest, are they? Actually, sometimes you've got to carve out some space to have some one-to-one -one time with people. Maybe you're inviting someone out for coffee or for lunch, or when you're at staff drinks, you're like, oh, mate, do you want to come back to mine for another drink? Or whatever it is, just having that opportunity to... Because realistically, in that kind of context at work, it's not always the easiest. Like when I worked for a school, there was one of my colleagues who loved basketball. So when we finish, I'm really into basketball. We just go to the gym. All the kids have gone home. We grab a couple of balls and just be shooting around, just chatting about girls and disappointments and life. And, and then he just asked me about church. And we talk about faith, talk about Jesus. Eventually, I invite him to come on an alpha course. And other people are talking to him. He gets baptized. And now he's a youth leader in his church. And we just play basketball and talk about life. But it was intentional. It was natural, but it was intentional. And it's so important that we carve out that time. And it's so important that we recognize that we're part of taking people one step further in their journey. See, I think part of the problem with evangelism, this whole topic, is we kind of want to see the big, explosive, exciting results, don't we? Like, we want to see someone really coming to know Jesus so we can then tell everyone what happened. And it's like, yeah. But actually, a lot of sharing our faith is just helping someone take another step along the journey towards knowing God. And at the beginning of the sermon series, Greg Shepherd shared this great quote, which I think sums this up so well. It's by a guy called Paul Hazeldine. It says this, in the past, people have often seen evangelism only in terms of being convert people being converted. Understood this way. Most of our evangelism must, evangelism must be counted as pure failure. But if you understand something of the journey a person must take in order to discover God, 
then you know that helping someone take one more step towards God is successful evangelism just as much as helping them over the final line. I love that quote. Just reminds us that it's not all about just getting someone to that final point. It's just in a loving way saying, I just want to help you on your journey one step at a time. And in the Bible, it says it this way, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. And that's how it works. You do your little bit, then there's someone else who comes in and has a conversation or something happens in life. But it's God who's working through it all. And I already saw this in my own life just this week, actually. On, uh, on Monday, I was in the barbers getting a, a fresh trim. And uh, thank, it does look good. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it, mate. You definitely need one. Um, <laughs> Pre-Wellin, mate. Wellin's going to struggle with that haircut. <laughs> but I'm in the barbers. <laughs> mate, true farts. Um, I, was in the barber <laughs> I was in the barbers getting a haircut. And uh, I'm in my barber. He, he loves talking. And we just had this proper deep chat. And I was in the chair for about an hour. Which, ladies, maybe that doesn't sound a whole lot long. It might be a lot shorter than you're used to. But for guys, an hour in a chair, like, you know something's been going down. And so we're having this chat, and uh, we're, we're talking about life. We got into terrorism. And a Turkish barber, just kind of wrestling with stuff. He's, he's very interested in just t- chatting stuff, th- stuff through. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't talk about hush, in hushed tones about anything. And, uh, and so we're chatting in... Uh, he, uh, he says, the thing is with terrorists at the end of the day is bad people are born bad, good people are born good. I said, oh, okay, cool. I was like, well, do you think that people can ever change then? Or if you're bad, it's just inevitable like that for life, is it? Because then if that's the case, then can we really be too angry at terrorists because they're kind of born that way? And he was like, ah, oh. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I'm like, do you think everything happens kind of in a destined, predestined way? It's like, ah, I'm not really sure. And then we kept talking and wrestling with stuff. And then he said, you know what? I just wish everyone could get along and just people from different backgrounds would hang out and we could have this diverse community. I said, yeah, me too, man. I was like, you know, what? yesterday I was in church and I was at a lunch that the church was running. I said on my table there was a Chinese lady and someone from Somalia. And then there was uh, someone from uh, all these different nations, the Philippines. And there's a few English people there as well, different ages, different backgrounds. And it was kind of a bit like what you're talking about. And he's like, all those people go to your church? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's every Sunday I was like, we've got some 93-year-old Scottish lady. We've got babies a few weeks old, like... That's just what church is like. It's like all in the same place. Like, yeah, yeah, we're friends that like, we hang out. And then later, he just kind of was like, well, to be honest, I like all this stuff, but if God's real, he just needs to send a sign. I said, that's, I said to him, I was like, yeah, no, I agree, mate. I was like, to be honest, that's kind of what happened in the Bible. Like, it says that prophets came one after another. It's like, look, you need to turn from God or it's going to get worse. And then another prophet came when they inaugurated the first one. And it got worse. And then another prophet came and they ignored that one. And then eventually, God came himself. It's Jesus. And guess what? Most people ignored him too. So do you think people would pay attention if, if another sign came? And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. So we had this great chat and I, I walked out to my car and 
First thing, obviously, check out my hair in the rearview mirror. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hey, look, priorities. <laughs> Second thing I do is I'm just thinking, man, I missed an opportunity there. I started playing over all the things that we said, and I thought, oh, if only when he'd said that bit about sending a sign, and I said about Jesus, I was like, he didn't come to judge, he came to save in grace, and I, I started beating myself up thinking, I really missed an opportunity there. Maybe you felt that way. And then I was just reminded of this truth that I'm just helping a guy out one step at a time on his journey. I just got to trust God's going to bring the growth. And it's so important that we remember that. Now, a cool little PS to this story. The next day I get a text from Nick. He's also got a, a great fresh trim. <laughs> Why? Because he was at the barber's the next day and I get a text from him and he says, the barber says, hi. Turns out, they had a massive chat. And what had happened is, they'd just been kind of talking about this and that. And then the barber says to Nick, do you think kind of things are destined to happen? And clearly been just mulling over just what had happened. And so then they get chatting. And then Nick did what I regret not doing, which is said, hey, you know, if you want to explore this stuff, come on an alpha course. I'll be there. You'll love it. It's a really great way to explore these issues. I'm just thinking, thank you, God. It's not about me doing it all right. It's not about Nick doing it all right. It's just helping to kind of step along the journey as ordinary people. One man plants, another waters, but God gives the growth. Ordinary people who've been with Jesus. The thing is, you can only share something that you have. You can only share something that you have. If you're not convinced about Jesus, you're not going to convince anyone else. The starting point isn't beating yourself up, making a five-step plan to be a better evangelist. The starting point is to be with Jesus. Now, you might say, and this would be fair enough, you might say, well, yeah, yeah, but John, but the disciples were actually with Jesus. Like, they saw him face to face. They touched him. They saw the miracles. And that's true. But we can still see and experience and know Jesus ourselves. There'll be countless people in this room who can talk about time after time where they've read the truth about Jesus and then encountered it in their own lives. See, we open the pages of the Bible and we... We read about a Jesus who, who went to the outcast and to the leper and to the, the prostitute who said, anyone is welcome into my family. And then you keep reading a bit more and then you read about grace and you start understanding it and, and you're reminded again of, wait, so I can keep messing up, but you keep forgiving me. And, and then, wait, so you, you give me eternal life, so what do I need to actually get that then? So you, you've paid the price for all of it. And you read about the peace that passes understanding, and then you're in a difficult place of grief or, or disappointment, and then you feel it for yourself. It's not just words on a page. These are things that we encounter. We can be with Jesus. When we talk to him, when we're at community and we're just talking about him, I love those moments where we're just sharing stories and saying about how good God's been. And you just, you kind of fall in love with Jesus again. When you be 
with Jesus. That's what changes you. How are you going to change your workplace? How are you going to affect your family or friendship group? How are you going to shine in whatever you do by being an ordinary person who's been with Jesus? Now, just because we do these things, it isn't a guarantee that everyone's going to respond how how we'd want. Even Peter and John, who you read about earlier, they didn't see a 100% success rate. In fact, Jesus, this is someone to remember who healed people, opened blind eyes, raised someone from the dead, walked on water, did all kind of cool stuff. The most caring and loving person who's ever been on the face of the planet. Even he didn't have everyone respond to him. Well, in fact, if you read the story, they end up killing him. But many did believe. And when you share your faith, you know, a lot of people won't react well. But a lot of people will. And a lot of people will want to know the Jesus that you're talking about because of God working through you. So what's our response? I think for most of us, it's not a matter of should I or shouldn't I. It's kind of lost that passion a little bit. Maybe it's that desire to step outside your comfort zone. Maybe you once had that, that love. In, in Revelation, it talks about people who've lost their first love. Maybe when you were a new Christian, you just love telling people about your faith and you couldn't wait to tell people. I remember when I was younger, uh, when I first kind of got this stuff, I, I was at a camp when I heard about a guy who, in his school, he, um, to kind of reach his, his, the other pupils, he'd got a picture of himself and written on a poster, I'm a Christian, ask me why, and posted it around the school. And all these people, you know, had asked him questions about it. And I thought, I could never do that. Oh, man, I had enough problems with bullying over the years. Like, that's the last thing I need. <laughs> and I thought, but I want to see people saved. I want people to know this thing that I have. Like, that's the thing. When you, when you have something that you just know is so good, you just want to give it away. And I thought, I've got to do something. So a friend of mine, not a Christian, was a photographer, was like, can you take some photos of me? It was a bit weird, but she did. And got these pictures, put it on a poster. And then when everyone had left the school one night, I went around the common room, just put out three or four fo- photos of my, my picture, posters. And I'm a Christian. Ask me why. I was so passionate to see my friends saved. I didn't care if it made me an outcast. I didn't care if, it, if they reacted bad. I didn't care if people mocked me, which they did. Because I was desperate to give away this thing that I had. But you know how it is. Life starts to happen. And it's almost like, you know, the honeymoon period wears off. And you just get into the motions. And you have a few rejections. A few people mock you. And that passion can kind of go away. But I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who is desperate to share Jesus with others. I want to be so in love with him that I just can't help but talk about him. I want to return to that first love. How do we get that back? By looking to him. By remembering how good the good news is. His freedom, his peace, his eternal life. And we're going to finish tonight by doing just that. We're going to take communion together. And this is just an opportunity for us to come back to our first love. Say, Jesus, we look to you. You've done it all for us. Let's get excited again tonight as we look to all Jesus has done. Leave tonight. See, this sermon series is ending tonight. 
But you've got to go to work tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And by <laughs> it's depressing. Sorry, guys. Oh, it's bank holiday. <laughs> oh, well, that ruined the moment. <laughs> Great. Bank holiday. Hey, well, whatever you do on your bank holiday or at work, not just your nine to five, <laughs> we've got to go back to work at some point this week. And it's through being with Jesus, through fixing our eyes on him, whether we're doing this sermon series or whatever, you've got your weekly devotional, we go with Jesus, we go with his power, we go with our eyes fixed on him and not what our colleagues think of us, what rejection may come, and knowing that many will come to know.